Wolverine. Wolverine. Hello and welcome to the Examination Podcast. This week, there's no new comics, but we're still coming out to you with a great episode. I'm joined by Kelsey Strutz. Hello! And Dane Rainier. Oh, I fell to number two. I'll be back next time. And my name is Quentin Emler. Uh, I took number three, so you know, you didn't fall as far as that. That's fine. I'll, I'll ride the middle line. Yeah, but he's the first <laughs> to speak. So uh, we're trying to change things up this week because we don't have new books, but we are still excited about the X-Men. And we decided to go back on memory lane, but not too far, but go to an influential run of comics for us. And that was the ultimate X-Men. Um, I distinctly remember when you guys first went to college, maybe your sophomore year, hanging around your guys' apartment. There were just trades of Ultimate X-Men hanging around. And that's where I got back into reading X-Men comics. Uh, how important was the Ultimate X-Men to you guys? That is what got me back into reading X-Men comics. <laughs> I mean, I just picked it up, I think, at a Barnes & Noble or something. Because, like, I haven't read comics in a while, and I always loved the X-Men. And, oh, this looks cool, Ultimate X-Men. I didn't really know it was a relaunch, but when I started reading it and and figured that out, I thought that this is a really great jumping-off point because you you don't have to catch up with what happened in the absence, you know, previous. You know, the five, six years or whatever that you weren't reading anything and keeping up with it. You go, okay... I'm I'm familiar enough with these characters. They've done some new stuff with it. I'm I don't hate that. You know, it's it, it was just a really good way to get back into it. It really was a great jumping off point. And it also they got to pick and choose what they pulled out of the comics. Did you jump on board right away, Dane, or were you just like uh excited to have new comics? I don't New think story. it was right away. I think it was kind of similar to Kelsey that it had probably been out for a while and I just discovered it. Yeah, but the it trades. Was, yeah, and it was just at that it was a, a great way to do it at that time for us. You know what I mean? Like you said, college age. So it was like I I think I renewed some interest in comics. I actually had the money to buy them. You know, I wasn't a, a child spending allowances or anything. And it was nice because comics can be so complicated and, okay, you got to read 12 different books to understand what's happening and get into this jumping off point. And so it was nice having something that was like, oh, this makes sense to me. I can follow it from the very beginning pretty easily and pretty linearly. And so I think that did probably play a role in getting me back into comics in my you know, young 20s and late teens. Yeah, it really felt like a lot of the things you're pointing to, the accessibility part, it seemed yeah. like graphic novels were in mind from the beginning, from the way they even laid out their covers with like the color-coded strips on the side to mm. show which book was which. And um, but just the look was kind of refresh. In some things, they kept original, but this was right around the time that Spider-Man movie was coming out, the X-Men movie was coming out, and that clearly had an influence on these comics. Uh, Kelsey, we read volumes one and two, and right away you jump into these books, and they don't just go with the original lineup. They decide to change it up, and one of the more noticeable ones is originally right away, they kind of sub out Iceman and Angel being original members for Colossus and Storm. 
did you guys appreciate the changes that they made and and especially when it came to roster do you think they offended some x-men fans or do you think they did what they needed to you know i have no idea if they offended x-men fans i mean you touch any of those properties and do anything different it's gonna offend someone who is who's been in at the beginning you know they're, they're a purist or something um I liked I liked the changeups. Um, it was a bit of old and new with it, as far as you had your Cyclops and Beast originals and um, Marvel Girl. But yeah, like like they swapped out Iceman, and obviously not for long. Um, for yeah, Colossus and Storm, and having Colossus in from the start was kind of nice because if you recall, he was one of the later additions in the original runs. I think looking at it, I think they're good moves. Like they made the team they wanted and they made it work. Um, it, and so I, you know, I think they kept some key pieces. Cyclops is sort of the quote unquote field leader of things. They bring in Iceman pretty quick. I, I hate saying this cause I like Angel and I know there are people who are big Angel fans, but I mean, even in the original run, they had to give him a bazooka to like make him relevant. And so that kind of tells you he's I mean, maybe not the best. To be fair, Character it's smart. To he flies around. He should have some type of projectile. I mean, a bazooka seems a bit much, but yeah. Right, right. But I mean, in the creation of the characters to pretty early on be like, well, this guy is kind of lame. We better give him a big explosive gun to make him cool. Like, you can, that's okay. Like, he can step aside for a bit to make some room for some of the other X-Men. And, and powers-wise, he's definitely one of the less interesting ones i mean yeah him and beast have had radical changes to make them still relevant and interesting right right to keep up with what's going on and i will say this that i think a lot of you know the second team of x-men that came in you know when they brought in storm and nightcrawler and colossus and those it's a very clear sunfire yes it's sunfire it's i mean but that's what i mean that whole team is is very clearly ethnically diverse like they went from having the team of five white teenagers to the sort of second team that came in nobody was a american i believe right or bad yeah it was worldwide i guess you have you know a native american indian you had a german you had uh, an African, you had Wolverine is Canadian, it's probably your closest. But I mean, that was the whole point is they brought in a very diverse group. And so this does seem a little edgier and a little more, you know, futurist sort of thing. So I think it kind of makes sense to have a slightly more diverse group. Yeah, I think Storm also, uh, in the same way that Angel's like flying above and can some of the functions he could do on the team. I think she can do just as well and bring that diversity with it. Now, a big influence on it that you feel right away is the movies. For example, um, Wolverine in the first issue doesn't have much of a part, but the cover immediately you see Wolverine is movie Wolverine, essentially. He's no longer short. He's a tall, you know, leather jacket wearing guy. Did you guys have a problem with the movie kind of? motifs that they went with or do you think it worked well in this uh, i actually think you're wrong i don't think he's all that tall in it uh, i thought he, he he definitely doesn't stand out as short as he did in the normal in my maybe opinion not um he does i mean anytime they show him next to other people i mean he's shorter than quicksilver um and i don't know how tall he you know he is he's obviously done well, thicker you the know Kyle is more ultimate movie. quicksilver is eight feet tall right 
Oh well, no, I, that's I it's canon. Of his powers, super speed, and <laughs> um, stretched him out when he ran. Costume is a bit like actually his what eighties one. When they show him in it, the thing is, he's not wearing it that much. He's doing a lot of his, you know, I don't know. You, like you're right, the leather biker type. Oh, there's a lot of leather. Okay. It's early 2000s. I, I got something for you. Normal Wolverine is 5'3". Ultimate Wolverine is 6'1". 6'1"? <laughs> Say it on a website, I'm guessing? Yeah. The website? Uh, this is from CBR, where they have a listing of heights. How, how do they verify that? <laughs> I don't, you're going to tell me that there's I mean, not I'm, an ultimate I'm, handbook? I'm, I'm going There's, to agree with you because I'm like, well, I, I have nothing to reference it other than him probably standing like, next to someone in a picture. It's probably one issue where he walks in front of the Statue of Liberty and somebody takes like the actual measurement and then like divides it down into segments. And... I, I would disagree. They had like um, ultimate handbooks. Like there used to be like official guides yeah. to the Marvel Universe and they had an ultimate one, I know. And it probably listed a race heights. And oh, I, I believe you. Or even if there's one of those situations where they list the height of like one person in a comic book and then you just yeah. sort of extrapolate and work backwards from that. Yeah. But uh, point being, I think they tried to make him a little more action hero-y looking um, than maybe what he did in the classic one. You are right, though. The look of it, certainly from the... The thing that stands out to me costume-wise is the dark leather. I mean, this was early 2000s we got to get all these guys and you know the, the bright colored spandex is out leather that's cool that's edgy it's like true. that's the future you know something that didn't i've never noticed until reading it just this time is magneto if you look at like the opening issue one they show magneto in his classic costume and also the cover the six the end of the first uh run the first um story arc on the cover, Magneto's costume is his classic costume. Now, they chose to invert the color scheme and make purple the main color and red the accent color for Ultimate. But for some reason, there's two places in the comics where they show the classic one where it's mainly red with purple accents. I thought that was super interesting. Even then, they had editorial mistakes. <laughs> I was going to say, so you're not saying that you think it was like a, a statement piece or a change... Just that it was a, a mistake. I think it was just so early in the Ultimate Universe, they probably weren't sure what elements they were changing, and art got turned in, and it was like, well, shoot. We know it's, re we know it's right. red and purple, and he's got a helmet. That's good enough. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Um, one standout character I wanted to point out, uh, there, there's two characters that I think, in my opinion, stand out as different, and I think they're pretty well done. That's Jean Grey and Iceman. Did you guys... Um, you guys sniffing what I'm sitting? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. So uh, Iceman, I think they did a good job of balancing him because they made him a kid, which kind of tones down his overpowered. And when he doesn't win every fight, it's like, well, he's a kid, so that helps. And Jean Grey, I think, is no longer the damsel in distress. They did a great job with those. They did characters. a great job with that. I think she only passes out from use of her powers like one time. That's way better <laughs> than the '90s, where it was like every episode. Well, and, and she'll, like, take out the whole team by herself. Like, be like, no, we're not killing people. You know what I mean? Like, I think um, when you look at Jean Grey after 40 years of character development, she's just now, or like an X-Men Red reached that point. It took her years to do what the Ultimate did in the first arc. Okay. It wasn't by the way, I thought about when... Look, hold, okay. up, hold up. Pause. James Howlett 
from Marvel Fandom Wiki, Earth sixteen ten, which is the ultimate one, has him at five nine. Although that also okay. at the very that least, that's still about, quite a bit taller than five three. I still think that should be wrong because Jean Grey is listed at five five, and there are scenes in here where he is clearly maybe as tall, if not shorter than her. If you're looking at like consistency in comics, you're standing next place. to each other. Anyways, let's continue with serious conversation. I'm sorry. I just, something about that <laughs> so six one bugged me. So something that I was thinking about while reading this was just the, the idea or the question, what character do you think is the most different from the regular comic storyline? Like, is it Gene? Yes. I, th- I think so. I, I, I Now, the first on. arc does the interesting thing with Cyclops, right? Where they have him not be the boy scout and let him have his own belief system and do what he thinks is right, which is kind of nice. Kind of. I'd say Gene. Kind of though, because it's only like a half issue really that he even is that. And it's almost like they just use that him rebelling as like a foil to remind you, like the reason it is so insane is because he is the boy scout. And then he's immediately back with the X-Men like eight pages. I thought it worked well to say like, that he's not Professor X's whooping boy. He's choosing to be that. Like, right. Like, he still made a choice, which I think helps to establish that in the first arc and makes him a little more credible. I think to me, that point would have maybe resonated a little more if there was even a whole issue where he was Brotherhood. But he yeah. goes over it like the back half of an issue. And then even in the, the, like the first couple pages of the next issues, he's like, this isn't how we should do it we don't need to be evil. We can be good. And it, so it just, he could have stayed, I think a, a quote unquote bad guy for just a little longer. Writing comics is hard. You want to yeah, get a lot well, done in a little bit of time. When they do though. I mean, that's, it is, I think the thing that stood out to me was the whole of the comics. It's not a complicated concept. Like it's a pretty wide brush stroke. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. Yeah. Some of the characters are a little archetypal, but it's, it is a low concept, but high execution that they and capitalize it, on what on the simplicity of what it is. It it feels like reading X Men. I yeah. mean, in it's a, a back pure, to basics. Yeah, it manages to. I think you're on to something there, where it manages to not feel like an origin story. Too, it feels like we're jumping right in with the diverse cast. Hundred percent. And, yeah. and the fact that they take Cyclops, like we said, and move him and, and Wolverine being like an infiltrator, like they, I think they do a good job of like, you feel comfortable and they don't spend time dwelling on like, well, here's how he got here and here's how he got here. Yeah, you don't have to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter for the purposes of this story that they're telling. They're, well, they're close enough to characters that we already know. They're close enough. Yeah. We're like, okay. Yeah, you have a general idea. I can assume this is their early life and things like that and if you can't it's not big enough of a change to matter right now and they'll fill in the cracks later yep because i'll give them credit too i think i could hand this to somebody who's never read an x-men i don't think they'll be lost by any means no No, not at all no and that's that's something that's so cool about it is that it like i said it is it's relatively low concept like it's not that complicated but when you get in it they do a good job of painting a quick picture of 50 years of x-men in one issue Right, like yeah. you, you read this, and they do a great job of setting up Magneto as just this unstoppable force that they're terrified of. You know, that's like, oh, it's Magneto, we got to get out of here, sort of thing. 
And at the same time, creating a world where it, it just sucks to be a mutant. Like people hate them. Even well, when they save the day, they get trash and bottles thrown at them. That there is a government program of like 30 foot robots that are just out to annihilate them. Like they paint a picture of how terrible this world is for mutants in the first 20 pages. Well, it's just yeah. um, they even show it when they go to save the president's daughter in it. And, you know, there's that big quandary they're having. It's like, why are we why are we saving this girl when we know that it's just going to Sentinels are going to come back? Yeah, the Sentinels are going to come back. Well, but while she's been kidnapped, there haven't been any Sentinel work, you know, no Sentinel attacks during that time period. Yep. No, it, it's it's pretty wild. The uh, they do a good job of getting those themes and the anti mutant kind of uh, mentality. It fits. It makes sense. Um, I want to take a quick second to talk about uh, kind of how they transition to their second arc. So Mark Villar wrote this book. I think he, we talked about how he knocked it out the bar right away from the from the get go. And this book, it seems like maybe came out in 2002. I would say the uh, second volume. And it's like pretty beat for beat. A lot of the same themes and stuff that happened in um, X2. So it's kind of funny, just like how much these first two volumes match the X-Men movies. So you yeah. are right. You're absolutely right. Enough so that I looked it up. The second arc, so issue seven onward, or at least the start of it, came out before X2. Do you think he had notes, though? It feels like there's no way it, he didn't have I, can, I can't like, imagine they did if for no other reason, the opening scene to, to the seventh issue where uh, Nightcrawler's escaping Weapon X, it feels so much like the start of X2, where you just get dropped in the action. It's this big action scene. It sets up thing. everything that's going on. And it involves Nightcrawler. Like, it is well, in a totally different way, a different concept, but still almost in, like when, mentally shot for shot the same. But when did that issue come out? That first issue before like, X before X two. How, how far? Uh, I think like a year. So there, you know, it's very possible. I, I I I don't. I doubt that there were notes between the comic writers and the script writers for X Men. I, I don't know if the studio was that close because it wasn't the same Marvel studios, you know, this was Fox doing it. They may not have been, they may not have been close to the comic writers, you know, but it's also possible that that comic came out. They saw it and said, Hey, while we're filming, let's, let's do this as an intro. Yeah. So I, I literally looked it up while, because what I was reading, because it just felt so. Similar. Even weapon X being the bad guy. Like it just seems like it has to be. So, X2 was released in May of 2003, and the print release date of Ultimate X-Men number seven was August of 2001. Yeah. So it was yeah. almost two years ahead of so, schedule. So it's very possible they may have read it and just borrowed yeah. from it. Took a lot of notes from it. Um, I think talking about that tone and, and what struck with the X-Men movies and made them really uh, connect with this uh, Mark Millar's quoted as saying, you're not competing with Cartoon Network on these Ultimate books. You're competing with Buffy. That's the vision. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's a more... it's You're targeting, I think, young adult at that time, not children. Agreed, agreed. 
I um really like this book. I really like the Weapon X arc, uh, Wolverine. I think they did a good job of keeping characters like him true to their core, but making them a little fresh and and really just telling the good stories. You know, they they did a great job of pulling out of forty years of history the parts you really wanted. They yeah, they get back to basics. That it is a team of. I think maybe a little older than the classic X-Men. They don't start at 16. You know, Iceman's yeah. 15, but I think most of them, they say, are somewhere between like 17 and 19. Yeah, so well, they had to make Jean Grey 19 or Wolverine would have been real, real perfect. <laughs> well, it's I mean, already, already bad enough that he's, yeah, that he's like a, several hundred years old and that's Super weird, that comic writer. <laughs> you know, it's, no, it's normal. It's normal. It, that, that is always problematic with Wolverine, that it's it's, you know, even even adult women that are like 20, 25, it's still like when you're 200, it's like, well, what's this right? the va- vampire problem? Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's he's old as dirt. It's a little cheesy. I don't know. Did you guys ever think that at any point? Some of it's a little cheesy, like the dialogue in it. Yeah, but in the same way that those early X-Men and Spider-Man movies were. Right. I think it's almost a little unfair to look back on it 20 years. But the number of times that Cyclops says, listen here, mister, I counted it. He calls somebody mister three times in the first 12 issues. <laughs> Maybe that's how every raised. time it showed Maybe up. Maybe he just, was raised to be respectful. Listen mister. here, mister. Like it's <laughs> it's very Boy Scouty. Like after, like he's talking to you over a chocolate malt at the malt shop. <laughs> right. That it's almost like, yeah, bringing back that 60s. You could, you could put him in his letterman's, his letterman's jacket. <laughs> Are there any changes overall or any adaptations um, directly that just stand out to you as special about this book that you want to revisit while we're talking about it? Uh, I think they, they included S.H.I.E.L.D. more um, as part of Weapon X. Yeah, the whole second story is very shield heavy. Yes. Yeah. Which and is Nick kind Fury, of it's fun first introduction it was before of, it was cool. Well, this is the first introduction of Black Nick Fury, I think. This yeah, I think you're right. From. I don't think I think so, he comes from this before he's in the Ultimates. I think he actually debuts in something else, but it's right about the same time. But you know it's original Black Nick Fury because he doesn't look like Samuel L. Jackson yeah. yet. He hasn't yeah. like yeah. everyone. Well. Always talks about how oh he was made and designed to be Samuel Jackson. It's like well he clearly wasn't. He was no. designed to be something else, and then they decided to morph him into that. Yeah, I think uh, so. It says he appeared first in Ultimate Marvel Team Up. They knew yeah. he was going to be black, but they didn't know okay. that he was Samuel Jackson. Um, I I have one story arc that I remember being really good is. I think it was a crossover between this and Ultimate Spider-Man, but they did this great issue where Spider-Man and Wolverine switch bodies for a day on accident. Oh, yeah, like something happens where Wolverine has to go and pretend like he's like, I'm going to like Peter's like, you have to uh, pretend to be me or think, it'll ruin my life. A free and he just really. like hooks up with Mary Jane and stuff. And it's just like, oh God. I think, well, I think Daredevil's in that one too. Yeah, I think he could tell. He could tell they're lying about who they yeah. are. It helps them. Yeah. That's it's right. they do a good they do a good job of of writing like you mentioned about how the trades may have been in mind already. They just do a really good job of writing contained stories at one time. Mm-hmm. Like the future people is a world building setup story where you get your characters and your X Men. 
and you make Magneto the big bad, right? And then the return to Weapon X, it sets up the the whole government issue and uh, Wolverine digging into his past and introducing Nightcrawler. Like that's a that that is one of the things I know I'm a Nightcrawler fanboy, so I'm probably gonna say this no matter what. But I found that to be a really unique way and a unique take on him as a character that he was a Weapon X project. Well, Rogue, yeah. too. Rogue's a Weapon X project in there. Yeah. They bring her on. And they do such a good job of introducing in the second, that you know, that second uh, book, the Return to Weapon X, like, you get some great villains introduced, right? Like, Rogue comes in as sort of a villain, Wraith, Sabretooth, Juggernaut. I mean, there's a lot of, they put in a lot of X history and characters really quick for 12 yeah. issues. But it doesn't feel like glorified cameos. They're where they should be. They're not just yeah. forced in there. So think, it feels nice. I think some of them can be a, feel maybe a little underdeveloped. Uh, in, but, I mean, with that many people in 12 issues, I can understand it. Like, Quentin, what do you, how do you feel about Colossus? Because he gets to be a, a core starting character. But I think in a lot of ways he feels a little just sort of flat because they maybe haven't figured out or they don't have the time. To figure well, out what to I, do with them? I think that's fair, though. But I I think, you know, you, you go to these comics and you know there's certain characters that are going to get more attention than others until they get their arc. And I, it didn't bother me. That's what I'll say. Revisiting okay. these. You know, I was glad to see my character, but it's like, okay, this isn't his story arc, but there will be, you know. Because all the other on. characters, I, even if you were to give like a, a, a one sentence or two sentence description, you have something that kind of makes them what they are. But Colossus is just sort of like... He's a hard guy. worker. He's the big guy Russian. Yeah. And that's about all you know. You know, Storm sort of has the, uh, you know, big potential but limited by confidence, uh, you know, criminal background sort of thing. Like you mentioned, Jean, they really buff up. They they do a good job of limiting her and that she has more of the telekinesis and her telepathy isn't quite as strong. Like they mentioned at one point she can only affect like one person at a time. Iceman yeah. has, you know, the young kid thing going. But Colossus is just sort of the big man. And I know he gets more time as it goes, but he just, he is one of them that feels like if he wasn't in the first 12, I don't think it would change a whole lot. But I'll say this, Colossus has never been anything but that. Even in the normal ones, like he's a painter or whatever, but like, he's the guy you get when you need things done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the, I don't even think they've even gotten to that point with him yet in the first yeah. twelve. I know they get there, and he, you know, he's a little more developed moving forward. Yep. Um. Uh, any any last thoughts on the ultimate story arc? Uh, for the first twelve, or uh, really the first three volumes worth. I mean, I thought these were really good. I mean, what some of the best out there at the time. I remember reading the rumors not that long ago that MCU X-Men were going to be Ultimate X-Men inspired. Yeah, I think that fits well. I got I got a little mad at first because I'm like, that's not my classic X-Men. But after rereading this opening 12 issues, I don't I don't understand how it wouldn't be this. This feels so perfect. These already feel like you have two scripts basically written for you. In a lot yeah. of ways, right? And especially the return to Weapon X, if you want to tie in uh, stories with uh, Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury, some you know some kind of past stuff, if you want. It, it feels so perfect. 
I read this and it felt like the MCU, right? Yeah. That the the yeah. stories aren't necessarily particularly complicated, but they fit for a an action blockbuster. And like the last issue or two of each six arc run is just a big fight, and that's what every MCU movie is. You know what I mean? That the, the big wolf or the big uh, Magneto fight at the end of the first one, the big Weapon X fight at the end. It's just this they 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 read like movies, and it almost seems too perfect not to do at this point. And I wouldn't be mad. I think I'd yeah. embrace it and welcome it. I agree. Just throw some sunfire in there, and we all win. <laughs> no, I know that's what you're after. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I could see that. What if he replaces Colossus, though? You know what? You got to do what you got to do. Ooh, Ooh. I'm proud of you. That's some growth. That's betrayal right. what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think it's time to maybe play some 20 questions, ultimate style. Oh, man. Ultimate style. This is going to be hard. I'm, I'm yeah. smelling an L. Yep. Well, you guys know the game works. Uh, our panel here has 20 questions to try and figure out the noun, the person, place, or thing, or idea from Marvel Comics. Uh, and the questioning can begin now. Is it a character? Yes. Is that character in the Ultimate Universe? Yes. Okay. Is that character a mutant? Uh, no. Is that character primarily a good guy? I'm not going to say yes or no. It's I'd say neutral. I'd say, like, not associated with being a hero or a villain. Okay. Do we see this character in the first 12 issues that we read? No. Is this character a human? Yes. Does this character have a government-related job? No. Is this character associated with a specific hero or villain? Yes. Where are you going there, Kelsey? You have ideas? Is the character, hero, or villain that they are associated with a mutant? Yes. Okay. Is that eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That mine was the nine. Okay, nine. Hmm. Associated. So not a mutant themselves, but they are specifically connected to another mutant. I actually think that the way you just said it again isn't really fair and could cause you to be confused. I okay. did not say she's associated with one mutant. But you she, did not say she was. She, yeah. 
Hell yeah. All right. Free answer. Free clarification. Uh, it's not specifically associated with a specific. Um, has her alternate universal character or doppelganger basically been a set piece or a a a <laughs> main story point for the new run of X-Men that we have been reading. No. Okay. Just need to take that out of there. Thank you. So basically what you're saying is not Moira. Yep, that's the only human I know. <laughs> not a not a human. Not a human. <laughs> Mutant, well, no, yes, but not in the Marvel or the the uh, Ultimate Universe, maybe. Who knows? Miles Morales is in the normal universe. Who, who it, knows what's going on? Is this no. person a doctor? Ooh. Um, no. Okay. Not a doctor. Not a human. No, they are a human. They are a human, but they're associated with mutants. That is my understanding. Is does she associate mostly with the X Men? No. Associated with closely with the Brotherhood. Yes. Okay, but not necessarily a villain. Nope. Not in the first twelve issues. Does she associate with any specific members of the Brotherhood? Uh, does she associate with specific members of the Brotherhood? Yeah. What do you mean by associate with them? Like, is there a core group of Brotherhood that she is with? It's not like, like, she's not specifically with one, but maybe there's like a group of four that she associates with more than like the group as an entirety. I'll, I'll say this. She never spends time in any comics with any of the Brotherhood. Which is during the comics. But she's associated with them somehow. Okay, that's that's a real kink. <laughs> associated with, but hard. never spends time with. Okay, this might be something that's in my repertoire that I thought people knew, but it, now that I think about it, it's pretty tough. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You got stumps here and there. All right, so it's somebody associated with the Brotherhood, but not necessarily spending time in the comics with the brotherhood so like maybe a i don't know a parent or a sibling or something of one of the characters <laughs> is there well no because he specifically said they're not specifically tied to a certain one not tied to one promise i don't I don't know enough about the Ultimate Universe. I know it's been so like, like long since I think I stopped off at like volume six or seven. This, this is a character that's in the normal universe as well. I'll give you that freebie as well. Okay, appreciate you, Doug. Appreciate you, Doug. All right, I'll ask this: Are they associated with the Brotherhood in the classic universe as well? Yes. Okay. That's sixteen, I think. Hmm. Who? What? What human is associating with this pro mutant terrorist group? Right. Oh man. 
Dude, I, Dane, I, I really don't know. I'm having some... So maybe we should try and... Is there is there a, a path you would take on trying to narrow this down to a name I don't know? I don't even know. I don't even need to guess. It's not a specific person, which is making it a little harder, but... Has the person ever been a love interest of anybody in the Brotherhood? Yes. It's associated with the Brotherhood. Not necessarily a good guy or bad guy, correct? Uh, Love interest of... Has she ever actually even met anyone in the Brotherhood? Uh, Yes. The person she's a love interest of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, celebrity type thing. Okay, I have a question. I'll try and see this one out. Go for it. Does this person have children that are in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Yes. Oh, is, is a Von Strucker thing you're thinking? Has this person... How many questions we have left, do you know? I think that was 18. All right, Kelsey, do you mind if I go for this? Yeah. Has this person been a love interest of Magneto? Yes. Is it Magda? It is Magda, the parent of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And in the Ultimate Universe, the lover of Wolverine, which created Jimmy, the the kid Wolverine, who's now in the current universe. So um, relevant in both universes. Ooh, that one had me. Yeah. Did you you look that up? Look what up? No, I mean I know Magda's is uh, Magneto's wife. I, I also appeared in X Men Apocalypse, the movie. Oh yeah, that's true. And her, um, she's a big part of Ultimatum, which kind of kills the Marvel universe, the Ultimate Universe, because it, it gets revealed <laughs> that Wolverine slept with her or something. If I remember right. I was so mad about that, that they were like, we're destroying the, because I, I, when that, the whole thing, like ending the ultimate universe, I'm like, okay, it's good. It's time. Let's get rid of this alternate timeline stuff. But then they were like, no, we're going to mash this stuff together. Crossovers, bring it in. Yeah. Then they just relaunched everything with ultimate comics, Spider-Man. Ultimate yeah. Comics. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, it's all done. We're closing off this universe. Uh, psych. We just got you interested again. We're selling new ones. Magna, oh Magda, Magna Lencher though, right? Because there's also a Magda Eisenhart. Well, that's her maiden name. Well, yeah, both her. Okay. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this ultimate episode. We are so excited as we get closer to Ten of Swords, but we're not quite there yet. We'll be back with another week full of comics. Uh, is it two weeks from now? So two weeks from now, we get one issue of X-Force. So we'll have one comic to talk about. That's on the 8th of July. But on the 15th, moving forward, we're back in full swing with comics. All right. We'll see you then. Later, guys. Later. Hello, fellow Danger Room survivors. This is Dane thanking you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to invite you to join the examination community by checking us out at our website and Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and get your suggestions for questions of the week and Marvel 20 questions. You can find us at examination.blogspot.com and on Twitter at examination. That's E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N.blogspot.com and at examination spelled the same way. While you're at it, 
Help us grow the community by giving us an Omega Level review wherever you listen to the podcast. See you next week.